Welcome to Sunday Homilies with me, Father Mike Schmitz. I hope today's homily inspires and motivates you. And I also hope that it leaves you hungry for the one who gave everything to feed you. If you want to get this and other Sunday Mass resources sent straight to your inbox, sign up at ascensionpress.com slash Sunday or by texting Sunday to 33777. You can also follow or subscribe in your podcast app for weekly notifications. God bless. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. Jesus said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship. Him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. So a bunch of years ago, I heard this man describe, describe what it was like to live in first century Jerusalem. If you were a Jew, what it was like to live in the first century, the time of Jesus, essentially. Um, so if you were a kid, at about you know, six years of age, you'd be sent off to a school. The school, it was like Sunday school, but it was every day of the week. <laughs> and it was, the school was called Bet Sefer. And so from six years old until 10 years old, you'd study the Bible. In fact, you'd just study the first five books of Moses. And you'd do this, as, again, as a six-year-old for the next four years from six to 10, Bet Sefer, you would learn how to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, not just the titles of the books, because that's the thing, right? Like, okay, the first five, first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. I memorized that this morning in order to get ready for Mass. The 10-year-olds would have all five books completely memorized. And then at the end of those five years, at 10 years old or so, um, most of the kids, they would, the, the rabbi would say, okay, now, go and learn your father's trade. But the best of the best, they'd be invited to go to the next school. And the next school was called uh, Bet Talmud. And so for the next five years, from 10 years old to 15 years old, these kids, they would study the rest of the Bible. In fact, um, for those five years, they would learn, they would memorize the entire rest of the Bible. So imagine, at 15 years old, having like everything, this whole chunk right here, right? This is from Genesis to Malachi. At 15 years old, you would have memorized the whole thing. So this is a really good school. Again, this is the best of the best in Bet Talmud. And at the end of those five years, at 15 years old, if you wouldn't go on to the next level, the rabbi would say, okay, now go and learn the trade of your father. Go become a fisherman. Go become a carpenter. Go become whatever the thing is. But if you were the best of the best of the best, right? If you were amazing out of this group of elite students, you would then at 15 years old, you'd go find a rabbi. And you present yourself to the rabbi and ask if you could be that rabbi's disciple. Now, here's the incredible thing about looking for a rabbi. 
at this point, you already know the Bible, right? You not just know the Bible, you're kind of familiar with it. You've memorized every word of the entire Bible. So you don't need the rabbi to teach you the Bible. What you're looking for is you're looking not just to be a student, because up to that point, you're a student. At this point, you want to be a disciple of the rabbi. And what that means is, I want to know how this rabbi interprets these words. You've memorized the whole word. You know what the words are. But you want to be able to look at the Bible the way the rabbi looks at the Bible. You want to look at the world the way the rabbi looks at the world. You want to look at God the way the rabbi looks at God. In fact, the whole goal of being a disciple is to know what the rabbi knows, to do what the rabbi does, and to be like the rabbi. That's the goal of being a disciple. And if you weren't accepted, the rabbi would tell you. He would say, go and learn your father's trade. But if he called you to follow him, if you're called to be a disciple, the whole purpose is to do what the rabbi does and to be like the rabbi. Because he's the model, right? At this point, the rabbi has become the prototype. So at the end of the Gospels, right, Jesus sends his apostles out and he says, go out to all nations and make disciples of all nations. So that's a disciple, right? Not basically, Jesus isn't telling the apostles, go out and, and teach the Ten Commandments. Go out and make sure everyone knows that the, who the four gospel writers are. Jesus is saying, actually, the whole point of this whole thing is make people who will become like me. When he says, make disciples, make people who become like me. Make people who imitate me. In fact, we talked about this on Ash Wednesday. There's this book that's the second most popular book of all time after the Bible uh, called The Imitation of Christ. It comes right ahead of Harry Potter. And it is... It is about the whole goal of the Christian life. The whole goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus, to be imitators of Christ, to become like a rabbi because Jesus is the prototype. Therefore, Lent is for what? The whole purpose of Lent is not to, you know, to grow in self-discipline. The whole purpose of Lent is not to like, watch less TV. It's not to lose a few pounds. The whole purpose of Lent is to practice becoming like Jesus. That's the purpose. The purpose of Lent is to practice being like Jesus. So that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. We're going to enter into Bet Midrash. That's the third school, right? We passed Bet Sefer. We passed Bet Talmud. We've been called to be disciples. So for the next six weeks, we're entering to Bet Midrash. What that means is we're doing this series. The series is called Lent, but we're calling it Prototype. Because the whole purpose of these next six weeks is to follow Jesus, is to watch Jesus and to become like Jesus. So what we're going to do for the next six weeks is we're going to, we're going to watch Jesus in every moment, right? We're going to see how, how Jesus talks to people that no one else wants to talk to. We're going to see how Jesus talks to his father, how he prays. We're going to see how Jesus grieves. We're going to see how Jesus suffers so that we can be like him, so we can be like our prototype. And tonight, we're going to see how Jesus does something we all need to do. We're going to see how Jesus faces temptation. Like, how does Jesus do this? Because this, because this is one of the things, right? We all, we all know this. Every one of us faces temptation. I'm sure there's some people here going, what? No. What is, what is this temptation you speak of? Like, I hear a lot of people struggle with that. Like, on everyone, we all struggle with temptation. It is the kind of thing that every single one of us faces every single day. In fact, there's only one student I ever met who said he did not struggle with temptation because he told me, he said, Father, I never struggle with temptation. I just gave in right away. But this is, this is all of us because we realize to give in is, de is devastating, right? To say yes to sin is the kind of thing that can ruin our lives. It's the kind of thing that ruins families, it ruins relationships, it ruins careers, it ruins eternities. So the question is, what can we learn as we watch our rabbi? What can we learn as we watch our prototype? Well, 
We'll learn three things with a bonus. So we'll learn four things. And the first thing is this. How does Jesus face temptation? Number one, expect the trial. In the gospel today, Jesus, he heads into the wilderness on purpose. Like Jesus heads into the wilderness intentionally. He doesn't kind of accidentally wander into the desert or wander into the wilderness. It says clearly, he was led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. So when the devil shows up, he wasn't like, what are you doing here? He knew what was happening. Jesus is not oblivious to his environment. He has incredibly high situational awareness. And Jesus knows the Bible, right? He knows in the Bible, the desert is the place of trial. He also knows in the Bible, the number 40 is the time of trial. And so when he enters into the desert for 40 days, he is not surprised. He is not shocked. But here's the question for us. How often are we surprised by temptation? How often are we shocked? Even though we know scripture and we know ourselves, what I mean by that is 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter's writing to the first Christians and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that you're going through. Yet when it happens to us, we're all like, where did this come from? Like, I, or we, we're surprised by our weakness. Like, well, I thought I'd be stronger. But we're shocked. To be like Jesus is to expect the trial. To be like Jesus is to not be shocked when temptation comes our way. To be able to say, no, I expected this because we know this. There is nothing worse than thinking you had the day off and getting called into work. It's just, or there's nothing worse than having a project you thought, it'll take one hour, we'll be done before noon, and pretty soon it's 6 p.m., 7 p.m., you're like, what the heck? Or it's <laughs> nothing worse than thinking that you were on a cruise ship and it turned out to be a battleship. But to expect the trial, you know, The Imitation of Christ, that book, the author says this, he even says, he says this, he says, temptations, although troublesome and severe, are often useful to us. For in them, we're humbled, we're purified, we're instructed. He goes on to say, he says, the saints all pass through many temptations and trials to profit by them. And there is no state so holy, no place so secret that temptations and trials will not come. Many people try to escape temptations only to fall, fall more deeply. He goes on to say, we should not despair, therefore, when we're tempted, but pray to God the more fervently that he will see fit to help us. Therefore, number one, to be like the prototype, to be like the rabbi, expect the trial. It's coming. I'm not going to be shocked. Number two, after expect the trial, the second thing Jesus does is he eliminates the option. When it comes to temptation, he eliminates the option, which is in direct contrast to what Eve does in the first reading. I don't know if you caught the difference between the two of them. Eve, when the tempter approaches her, when the serpent approaches her, she engages, says, did God really say? And she kind of considers it. I don't know. Did he say this? And then he points to the fruit. And it says very clearly in Genesis chapter three, does Eve looked at the fruit and she's considering the whole thing. She's like, this is actually good for food. It is pleasing to the eyes. It is desirable for gaining wisdom. She's considering the whole thing. Versus Jesus in the gospel. I don't know if you caught this. Tempter shows up, basically says, hey, would you turn these stones to bread? Nope. How about you throw yourself? Nope. Bow down and worship? Nope. I mean, Jesus, he doesn't, it's done. He's already decided, I'm not going down that road. He's eliminated the option. How many times, again, for, in our lives, do we find ourselves discouraged by the same old failures. How many times do you find yourself discouraged by having to go to confession for the same thing over and over again? It's basically like copy, paste, copy, paste. Every week, it's like, okay, Father, same thing as last time. And sometimes we can be so discouraged by this. But our problem is we're willing to tolerate the presence of poison. That we're not willing to eliminate the option. 
We're willing to tolerate the presence of poison, meaning that this is not an invitation to be paranoid, like sins everywhere, or to be prudish. But I think a lot of us have been around long enough to know what helps and what doesn't help. Right? I think a lot of us have been around long enough and know ourselves well enough to know this is what helps me and this is what doesn't help me. Like we know where this story goes. So as an example, um, I have an older sister. My oldest sister, she works as a para at an elementary school in my hometown, which means that she uh, takes care of the playground during the playground time, right? And uh, this is my, my brassy sister, my sassy sister. So keep that in mind as you hear the story. So at one point, she's on the playground. She loves these kids. I mean, absolutely. She's been working there for years and she loves these kids. At one point, this little third grader comes up to her and Beth has watched this whole thing. She knows what's going on. And the third grader says, Miss Beth, Miss Beth, those kids over there are picking on me and they're saying that I'm stupid. And my sister looks down at this little third grader and says, maybe they're right. And the kid was like, wait, what? And my sister looks at this third grader and says, well, are you? Are you stupid? And she's like, no, what do you mean? Why are you asking this? And my sister said, because I've seen you all day today. You've been going back to this group of kids who are not nice to you, they're mean to you, and they don't want to play with you. And you keep going back to them. Versus I know there's plenty of kids out here who like you, who are nice to you, and want to play with you. So why do you keep going back to those other mean kids unless you're stupid? Are you stupid? And now, of course, she went on to say, you're not stupid, blah, blah, blah. She's nice. But, but how many times is this us? How many times is that us? We keep going back to the same thing even though we know how it's supposed to go. The reason why, I think, is because temptation is not always obvious. Like when we're looking at temptation, we're not, it's not, the first temptation we say yes to is not necessarily automatically evil. We have to understand that temptation almost always comes in pairs. Because if the first choice was directly, hugely evil, we'd probably run away from it. But the first temptation usually isn't massively evil. It's usually just something subtle. Like, I don't know if you caught this, the first temptation of, the, of Satan to Jesus. Turn stones into bread. That's not a bad thing. If you could do it, man, I'd be like, every day I'd be doing that kind of thing. The tempter is not trying to tempt Jesus to do something bad. He's trying to tempt him to stop doing something good. And this is what you and I are going to face all Lent. Because last Wednesday, what did we start doing? We started trying to do something good. And what happens, we find ourselves saying, well, that's not a sin. I can, just, I can do that thing. It's not a sin. You're right. Probably not a sin. It's very rare that someone gives up, some, gives up a sin for Lent. I mean, if that's where you're at, that's fine. We'll keep rolling with it. We can work with that. But most often, we're trying to give up something that leads us to sin. Remember, temptation comes in pairs. So someone who says, uh, I give up alcohol for Lent. Why? Because I know myself. And I know that when I drink, this is what happens. Bad things. Or someone says, um, what I'm giving up for Lent is the internet after a certain time of day. Because I know that if I log on after a certain time of night or day, it doesn't lead to good things. Maybe someone says, I'm giving up, uh, for Lent, I'm giving up certain uh, YouTube channels, or I'm giving up certain uh, news channels because it just makes me so distracted and gets me so angry. I get so riled up, so I'm just not going to do that. In fact, you might even give up music, not because the music's bad, because it doesn't help you. So years ago, there was a student, and uh, I would say, he was a cranky kid. Like, he was kind of a little grumpy cat, you know, regularly. And he used to love listening to, like, I don't know how to describe it other than rage metal. And... Uh, and so he was challenged by one of his friends who she said, I dare you to not listen to that music for two weeks and see how you feel. And he was the kind of guy who wouldn't want to back down from a challenge. So he's like, fine, challenge accepted. So for the next two weeks, he didn't listen to the angry music, the guys screaming into the microphones. After two weeks, his friend said, so did you do it? He's like, yep, two weeks, no problem. How do you feel? 
feel great. <laughs> Happier than I've been in years. And she said, so are you going to keep on not listening to music? Nope. I like the music too much. I don't care being, I don't, I don't mind being angry all the time. That's the, sometimes that's what we do, right? We realize that temptation comes in pairs. And we also realize that we could eliminate the option. Jesus doesn't even consider the option. In, in, in the Imitation of Christ, again, that book, the author says this, he says, resist the beginnings because remedies come late. In fact, remedies come too late. Resist the beginnings because remedies come too late when by long delay the evil has gained strength already. First a mere thought comes to mind, then the strong imagination, followed by pleasures, evil delight, and then consent. But if you and I were to be like Jesus, we would eliminate the option. I mean, honestly, why resist temptation in the future if I can eliminate the option right now? So expect the trial, eliminate the option. And the third thing our rabbi, the third thing our prototype does is he rewrites the script. Years ago, there was a, a guy, he graduated from here, and he got a job in finance down in the cities. And at one point, he was at this conference. And this person presented and said, okay, a lot of you are married. Um, he said, a lot of times, you probably have the same fight with your spouse over and over again. About different things, but it's the same fight. Because person A says this, person B says this, person A says this, person B says this, you have the script. And basically, you have the same fight over and over again about whatever it has to be. And you already know the script. So at one point, rewrite the script. But he said, I warn you, because what's going to happen, and this is for all of us here tonight too, what's going to happen is if one of you tries to rewrite the script by saying like, okay, listen, I'm not going to go down this road. I'm going to like walk to the other room. Usually the other person follows you into the other room with the script saying, you forgot your line. So, <laughs> but what we can do is we can, what Jesus is doing in the gospel, he's rewriting the script. So the script is Eve looks at the fruit and she says, this is good for food. Jesus says, I don't need this food. I can rewrite the script. Eve says, this is pleasing to the eyes. And the tempter says to Jesus, you can, you can dazzle people by throwing yourself off the temple and being caught by angels. Jesus says, I'm going to rewrite the script. I don't need to dazzle anybody. The tempter says, you can bow down and worship me and you can get all the souls in the entire world. And Jesus says, no, I will not bow down. He rewrites the script. This is so important for us because what is Jesus tempted to do? He's tempted to wow the crowds and overwhelm them by this amazing show rather than pick up his cross. Show them what humility looks like. You know, it's so mysterious how Satan says this, right? Satan says, all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me. I don't know what that means, but in some way, it means that all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to Satan. And the tempter even says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you want. Meaning, I will give you every soul on this planet if you just worship me. You know, the temptation of Eve, when it says, the food was desirable for gaining wisdom, to become like God's. It's this. It's the idea is, I want to be like God apart from God. I want to be like God without God. The temptation of the tempter to Jesus is, accomplish your mission without the Father. Accomplish your mission without the cross. Be God without God. Win the world without the cross. Jesus rewrites the script. And this is what we get to do too, right? I, I remember talking with a couple, couple years ago and they, they kept get, getting into this situation where they kept, uh, they kept falling into sin with each other, essentially, sins against purity. And they met with me because they're like, we are so tired of this. Like, we can't seem to stop this. How, what do we do? And I was like, well, okay, well, um, 
I need to know some, <laughs> some details. I need to know some people, places, and things. This is a big question. When you rewrite the script, you have to know people, places, and things. So people, who are the people you follow? Okay, this person here, got it, <laughs> check. Where? What do, you, what do you mean where? I was like, well, do you like fall into this sin anywhere? Like your parents' living room? <laughs> like in the middle of class? Like, no, 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 no. It's either two places. They, they said these two places. It was mostly either his apartment when no one else is there or on their way for him to drop her off at her dorm. So, okay. So not his apartment when everyone's there. No. Okay, great. That's nice. Um, secondly, on the way he's dropping her off in her dorm, like in the parking lot there, underneath the lights, like, no, no, here's what happens is we're driving from UMD to St. Scholastica and we're driving down the road. And at one point there's a right-hand turn and I just put my blinker on and drive down because at the end of this road, there's kind of a dead end and there's no one else down there and there's no lights. And that's, that's where typically like, oh, okay. So the rewriting the script part of this is not, uh, okay, get to that dead end and just really try hard. <laughs> Rewriting the script is, oh, when you're on that road and you're tempted to flick the blinker to go down right, don't turn on your blinker. Also, don't turn, but like, but like, because that's just rude when people don't use their blinkers. But like, but that's rewriting the script. That's saying, okay, I know my story and I get to rewrite my story. I know where I'm going to struggle. I don't have to go down that. I literally don't have to go down that road. I can rewrite the script before it gets difficult. Why not say the easy no rather than force myself to say the difficult no. See, this is the, the reality for every single one of us. To be like our rabbi, to be like our prototype, is to do those three things. To expect the trial. I know this is coming. I'm not shocked. To eliminate the option. Getting ahead of, I've already decided I'm not going to do this thing. And also to rewrite the script. I know my story well enough to know that I can rewrite the story. And this is the last thing. So I was sharing this with a friend not too long ago. And, and she said, okay, that's, that's fine. That's good. We need to do all the things like Jesus. But here's the problem. When you go to the dentist and he finds like tooth decay and he has to drill a hole in your tooth to get out the decay, they don't just drill the hole and get rid of the decay and then send you home. They have to fill it in with something. I'm like, that's right. I know this personally. And so for us, it's the same thing is true. Like it's not just enough to, to expect the trial, not just enough to eliminate the option or to rewrite the script. We also have to fill our hearts and our minds with something good. And that's what Jesus does. Our prototype, our rabbi does that exact thing. I don't know if you noticed, every single time Satan tempts Jesus, how does he respond? He responds with God's word. He responds with quoting scripture. Why? Because Jesus, our prototype, our rabbi, has filled his mind, he's filled his heart with God's word. He's focused on God's word. And so here's my invitation for all of us this week. As we do these three things, plus this fourth, is to every morning pick a scripture verse. Just beginning of the day. And hold that in our minds. Like, in fact, use that to fill in that empty space. A couple, a couple weeks ago, a priest uh, that I know really well, he encouraged me to do this. And so I've been doing this for about maybe a month. And the scripture that I just, it, it, that's been so powerful for me, I'm going to share it with you. The, the scripture that's been so powerful for me is, is comes from Psalm 69. And the scripture verse, is, it's really simple. It's just, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. And I find I can pray this in the middle of trial. I can find this. I can pray this in the middle of temptation. I can pray this when things are great. I can pray this before I drive my car. I can pray this almost any moment of any day. And it's exactly the thing I need to pray.
Psalm 69, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Our goal in Bet Midrash is to become like our rabbi. Our goal is to become like our prototype. And so that's what we're going to do starting today, to be like him when we face temptation, to expect the trial, to eliminate the option, to rewrite the script, and to focus on his word. So that at the end of this Lent, we're not just better people, but at the end of this Lent, we are like our rabbi. We are like our prototype.